0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, undine light listeners. I am back at it once again with a new episode. Uh, we are continuing our trudge through the uh, the book Song of Solomon, and we will uh, see if we can cover some significant ground. I am going to probably make this a shorter episode, uh, mainly because as I record this, within any time period in the next probably thirty hours my wife is going to be having a baby. So as this episode airs, I will be locked away in a hospital uh, and helping my wife with my new son. So sneaking some time away from some family and rocking out this episode real quick and hopes that uh, I can cover a range of content and uh, kind of see where we end up. Uh, for the day. So we finished last week with verse 7 in chapter uh, 2, and we're going to pick up at verse 8. We're going to see if we can get through um, a big chunk of text here today. Uh, So we might move through it quickly, but I do, again, want to always take our time as we examine the text. And I don't want to dwell on something if it doesn't need to be dwelt on, But I want to, again, ensure that we are treating the text appropriately, handling the text appropriately, and moving on. So we have a lot to cover. Uh, Like I said, I don't know really where I'm going to end up in terms of, you know, like the end of the show, how many verses and chapters we'll get through. But I'm gunning for probably about a 30-minute episode again. Shorter on the end, but we'll make it happen. So, guys... As always, this is a listener supported. I'm not going to give you the whole spiel. So if you are interested, the information is in the show notes. Hit me up on uh, Instagram, reformed underscore lifestyle. You know where I'm at. Come and, and chat with me if you have any questions about Patreon and what it does, how it works, and anything like that. For as little as a dollar a month, you can contribute to this ministry and help it continue to produce episodes and other content. Uh, I hope to continue doing our Galatians study for patrons and I am going to be doing another Bible study. Uh we're going to be looking at Hosea that comes as exclusive perks. So there's a lot of other stuff we do, but those are some of the big things. So if you are interested, dollar month gets you access to all that. We are working on um kind of redoing a bigger revamp to Undying Light and uh so if you have seen this new page pop up on Instagram Extra Nose Ministries, go and follow that. Um, I'm actively working on putting content there. It's going to be kind of an anchor for where a matter of truth show updates and, um, undying light updates go to. And we'll continue to teach and have some, uh, Lutheran theology being taught out of that. So if you're interested in, you know, what does proper Lutheran theology look like? Go and follow that page. You'll learn a lot. And, uh, it's just getting started. So there's not a ton of content on there, but we are working on that diligently beyond that guys uh i'm going to continue producing episodes weekly and uh, i would love it if you would come join us in the undying light family so if you're interested in the patreon or anything like that like i said feel free to shoot me a dm and we'll make it happen i have uh no questions answering uh anybody's questions because you know sometimes it's uh something new and most people just really don't understand how it works. So, by all means, throw me a question, I'll answer it, and we'll make it happen. So, guys, we get back into uh, chapter 2, verse 8. Solomon is writing here now the bride adores her beloved. And so, we're going to work on this block of text that's going to span us all the way into the end of the chapter. So, let us go. Verse 8 The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains. Bounding over the hills, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold where he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth and the time of spring has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom, and they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beloved one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, and the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He gazes among the lilies. Until the day breeze and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on a cliff mountain. So obviously we know um, by the beginning of this book, we talked a little bit about how this is really more of a poetry type construct. It's, um, you know, there's a, a story being told in it and it is a demonstration of Solomon and the Shulamite, his beloved. And uh, so we we get this, you know, back and forth commentary between the two. Uh, and then occasionally we'll kind of get a crowd of people who seem to be, you know, shouting a praise or kind of cheering on something. So but most of the dialogue is between the two uh, verse or back in episode one. we We talked about kind of the construct of how the book goes in terms of that. So if you're really. You know, if this is the first episode you're listening to, go back and listen to that one and give you more context to what's actually happening. So let's pick up in verse nine here. Uh, he stands behind our wall gazing, you know, returning to courtship and yearning as the bridegroom comes close. Uh, but he is not yet entered into the fullness of the wedding bliss, uh, an image that develops the tension between the promised love and consummation. Now, there's a lot of history behind Jewish ceremony in terms of marriage. Um, most often, it would be a very long, drawn-out celebration. Uh, the wedding isn't just like it is today where it's, you know, a Saturday afternoon or, or whatever in Vegas. Um, it's very meticulous and thought-out, uh, multiple parties, and, uh, and then at the end, the bride would come, or the bridegroom would come and take his bride back to his place. Uh, so there's, and and that's just a really very brief synopsis of the Jewish wedding. There's a lot to it. Um, and we see some of those images depicted in the new Testament, um, with Jesus actually turning the water into wine at the wedding. And, uh, more than likely this had been a long celebration, a long ceremony, and they were towards the end. They had run out of wine and then they, uh, asked Jesus to intervene we also see instances in uh, some of the parables with the uh, ten virgins, five who had oil and five who did not. They were anxiously awaiting their bridegroom. Um, but then we hear, you know, some other parables throughout the text as well. So marriage and and its f- kind of fundamental state is not an uncommon thing in Scripture. Uh, we see it all the way back essentially in Genesis uh Two and 3 with Adam and Eve, and then we see it kind of uh, progress through time where God establishes the bond between a husband and a wife. Um, Actually, even in uh, Paul's writing in the book of Ephesians, I just preached on this uh, last week in our church, the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, where the quote comes in that a man will leave his mother and father for his wife, and they shall become One flesh. So that is, uh, another kind of, you know, not necessarily an often spoken about thing, but it's not one that's really hidden away. And, and I think sometimes, especially in the West, uh, the concept of marriage and even sex perhaps becomes kind of a taboo subject. And, and I think it's very, difficult even today to talk about it because of how sexualized everything is every tv show music books magazines it's everywhere Uh, the internet is flooded with it it's on social media it is everywhere sexualization of men and women uh, has become the norm and it and it sells people want to buy into that and so the this Relationship that's being cultivated here by the Shulamite and Solomon is very special. It's unique. And it's one that I find uh, we we don't get a lot of, you know, these these pictures really painted in Scripture of one, you know, yearning for his bride, uh, unless we look at kind of how Christ is uh, yearning for his bride, the church. And uh, we've seen how Luther kind of makes those connections from time to time and. I find even in the church today as I'd mentioned, you know, that the subject of sex and marriage is often um kind of you know not spoken. And and it's even more difficult um when you have broken families in the church and uh the you know the marriage bond didn't last until death. They broke and separated before then. Um I it's interesting cuz I had a uh, uh, congregant ask me on Sunday what my thoughts were around um, you know, single parenthood because I didn't touch on it in the sermon. And I made the comment. I said, you know, unfortunately, the text really doesn't give us that view. It really is focusing on that. So t- for me to go into that, I would have to kind of, you know, add a little bit to the text. And, and it, that wasn't really my premise now. And I'd mentioned, you know, there's other passages that Paul talks about being single and, and how that can be fruitful for the individual. Um, and, you know, and and sadly, marriage just, you know, between two people may not just work. They just may be incompatible. Uh, they might be unequally yoked uh, because I find sometimes people rush into marriage or they rush into a relationship without, you know, taking the time to really get to know us, their particular spouse or partner. Anywho's. Moving on from that, like I'd mentioned, I I didn't want to read too much into the text in it. And and as still, I don't try to call something out of the text that isn't there. Uh, And I think if I was doing that, it might have paid disservice to the rest of the context that I was preaching on. So you can watch that sermon if you're interested. It's on our Facebook page. I have not loaded it to YouTube yet, but you can go and check out Stratford Evangelical Lutheran on Facebook and send us a friend request and we will accept it. And you can watch and keep up to date with all of our uh, content that we're doing. Moving on to verse 10. Uh, Spring has come and the wedding is drawing near as Solomon invites his bride to begin a new life with him. My grooms often send a representative to negotiate with the family. This goes back to Genesis 24. Uh, but here, Solomon himself comes. He says the rain is over. The raining season usually is October through April in this area. Uh, it is now past and the earth is watered and this and is starting to uh, spring to life. So the time of singing or a time of pruning, uh, springtime brings that extra responsibility of pruning and cutting back branches so they are going to produce more fruit in the fall. It also brings singing, especially the songs of love. Uh, the turtle does have returned to Israel. They usually do so around April after the rainy season. Moving on to chapter uh, verse fifteen here, the foxes, this uh, real threat to the vineyard by devouring the fruit and digging vineyards, uh, usually had walls that would keep out the wild animals. Uh, little things often ate away at um, and erode love and a marriage. And interesting how there's that correlation between a fox coming in and devouring the fruit and taking holes, uh, and and the little nags. In marriage and you know I've been married like I said on the episode a couple times ago um, 14 plus years now and we're getting well ready to welcome our second child into our family I love my wife to all the ends of the earth And, and she'll tell you the same thing for me there are just things that will irritate you about your significant other there are things that we do to each other that just irritate each other but we realize that that is always going to be present in a marriage you will never have the perfect uh relationship it just isn't possible you just will not have two people that could get along and agree on every single thing there's going to be disagreements our biggest fight and i you know we always joke about it is food neither one of us wants to eat the same thing we don't generally care for um the you know the same palate if you would of foods my wife loves sushi i don't like sushi my wife likes casseroles i don't like casseroles i could eat the same thing over and over again my wife not so much like literally i've had chicken three days in a row for every meal and my wife's had a variety of other foods so i I love chicken and i'll eat chicken quite a bit but i also do enjoy other stuff anyway so not the point what i'm getting at is the fact that there are little things in the marriage that will continue to eat away and erode the love. But you have to rise above that. Paul warns that even a little leaven can threaten a whole lump, as he notes in First Corinthians. And Luther warns that false brethren in the church and also heresies, which worm their way in, can slowly wreak havoc on God's vineyard. So it's not just a reference to the... Uh, vineyard or to the to the marriage here, but it's to all of what God has given and instilled for us. Uh, verse sixteen, mine and I am His, husband and wife belong to each other, either in the bonds of God's marriage covenant, where they too becomes flesh. This is noted in Genesis two, verse eighteen through twenty five, Matthew nineteen, verses four and six. Uh, there's also uh, the real reciprocity. In marriage, as 1 Corinthians 7 and Ephesians 5 note, reflecting, however, imperfectly love created by God who makes his own in the bond of Christ, as Leviticus 26 points us to and 1 Peter. So even though your marriage is imperfect or your relationships are imperfect, you are still loved and created by a God who sets the definition of love and sets the standards of love by sending his son to die for your sins on the cross. That is the most selfish or selfless act possible to lay down your life for somebody else. And Christ did so to, to wipe your sins off the table. And there's no greater love demonstrated than that. However, in a marriage, you will come to a point where you will see sacrificial love needing to happen. And, I, you know, and I literally just preached on it this Sunday. And so, you know, go back and watch that sermon if you're interested in kind of where I take that. But it, it's not a checklist. It's not the honey to do list. But go and watch the sermon. I really urge you to. I think you would get something out of it. DM me if you need a, if you need me to uh, send you a copy of it. I will do so. Moving on to verse 16 here before we wrap up, chapter 2, or I'm sorry, verse 17. Um, this day breeze indicates either early morning breezes stirred by the warming of the earth or the rising of the sun or the cooling of breezes at dusk when shadows lengthen and taking their flight. We could sum up verses 8 through 17 here. This carelessness can ruin any earthly relationship. Mutual conversation and attention to each other is essential. How much more is required in that mysterious and wonderful union between Christ and his church? Our Lord wants to hear our confession and our prayers, and even more so, he wants to give us his consolation and forgiveness. And so, this wonderful truth that we've just walked through here in these verses can, can bring a lot of truth and reality to our earthly relationships, and they don't even have to be between you know a man and a woman. It can be you know any relationship. It can be parents and and children. It can be um, brothers. It could be sisters. It could be you know friends. All this. If you do not take the time to cultivate a healthy relationship, you will have a toxic relationship, and and it's not to say that you can you by you doing the work, it's going to be perfect. Because even if you do the work, you still have to account for this other party over here who may or may not want to contribute to it. So, and and that's a whole nother rabbit hole to chase down. But what I'm trying to get at is carelessness can ruin any relationship. Recklessness can, uh, self, ambition and self-motivation and self-desires pursuing of your own flesh will ruin relationships as well and we see that over and over and over again in scripture so moving on here let's get into chapter three and uh see where this takes us it's a little bit shorter so we might be able to breeze through it pretty quick uh the bride's dream this is what she writes in verse one On my bed by night, I sought him with whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares, and I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him and found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to my mother's house and into the chamber where, uh, chamber of her who conceived me. I adorn you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that uh, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. All right, we got a little bit happening here um, in this uh, dream in uh, chapter three, uh, verse one. Here, let's look at it on the on my night bed, on my bed by night. I'm sorry, I sought him. Uh, the song cycle backs now to the time of courtship when the Shulamite searches for her bridegroom. Again, we go in, in these cycles in this particular story. So here we are going back to another cycle of courts of courtship. Uh, she is searching for the bridegroom, longing for their wedding and its consummation. The church father, uh, Bede or Bede, uh the vulnerable, compares the searching of the Shulamite with Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb while it was still dusk, searching for the Christ is John chapter 20, uh, verse 1 and verses 11 through 18. Uh, note, whom my soul loves, this is the expression of deep communion. So we see that um, those four words repeated over and over in this section. And so it is uh, cultivating and expressing to us this deep communion, this uh Essentially, this unextinguishable, you know, love and passion for this, uh, for this person. Verse two, the square, um, just as a broad, uh, it's just a, a reference to where people gather inside of cities. Various gates in Jerusalem had uh, adjacent plazas and squares. And so we just know that, you know, she's traveling through the streets and into these, uh, wide open areas where people would, would gather. Uh, it says it's at night, so there's probably not that many people because here in verse three, then we get to the text of the watchmen, uh, who were the city guards who patrol at night. So there's probably not many people, um, you know, out here at night. And really, we don't get any reason in verses three and four why Solomon, uh, Solomon's wandering here at night. Uh, if we look at, um, the city guards, the watchmen, this is actually a pointing towards a text in Isaiah chapter 21, uh, and verses 6 through 12 that kind of notate that, uh, demonstrated a little bit further. Uh, I'll read that. It says, for thus the Lord said to me, go set a watchman, let him announce what he sees. When he sees riders, horsemen in pairs, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, let him listen diligently, very diligently. And then he who saw cried out, upon a watchtower, I stand, O Lord, continually by day. And at my post, I am stationed whole nights. And behold, here comes riders, horsemen in pairs. And he answered, as the text continues, that's verse nine. I don't have it up on my screen, but you get the picture. Now getting into this really interesting comment in verse four we go back to the mother's house for the bride. Uh, mothers of both the Shulamite and Solomon play a supportive role in the marriage. Uh, we see that here uh, coming up in verses 6 through 11 and again in chapter 8. Uh, this chamber, uh, the Shulamite brings Solomon into the bedchamber of her mother as she would later arouse Solomon beneath the apple tree where her mother uh conceived and gave birth where his mother conceived and gave birth to him and that is in uh chapter eight. So again, we'll get into some interesting text here. Uh I, I like I said in the first episode, I do want to, you know, kind of urge to the younger ears, um maturity is key to reading this text. It's not a you know a snickering hee hee type moment. Th- these are, you know, this is adult level text. It is stuff that, you know, again, as I had mentioned even earlier in this episode, can often be taboo within a lot of families. But it's something that we have to talk about and it's something that should be addressed, uh, uh, you know, th- thoroughly. So when you're listening to this, I just have always urged maybe pay attention to who else can hear it if you don't want young ears listening. Alright, so let's move on here. We can, uh, sum up these first five verses, um, as the Shulamite is earnestly seeking her bridegroom. And this occupies, uh, this, this question kind of comes up. What occupies our dreams and aspirations, our hopes and desires? The Lord commends us to, uh, to the ac- excellent and praiseworthiness. Uh, His word sets our hearts upon our Savior. And so we, we have this question that we can ask essentially ourselves. Um, what is, uh, what is we pursuing? What, what are the things that, that hold us dear in this world? What are our dreams and aspirations? And I think if we were to sit and truly answer those questions, how many of us would say it is to, you know, love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, and mind and love my neighbors, myself. And in response to the neighbor, that is often our closest neighbor is our spouse, and so that often is our spouse. I want to find a way to love my wife in a sacrificial manner that Christ loves the church. And so these, this question can, can really start to answer, is it really something that I'm, you know, I want a, a job that I make six figures, or I want a job where I make seven figures, or I want to own my own company, or I want to buy a house, or I want to get a new car, or I just want to graduate school, whatever it may be. What is holding on to our most, to, to, to us tightly? And can we truly and earnestly say that that particular desire or hope is, is something that, sh, that exceeds our love for Christ and our neighbor? All right. Let's move on. As always, again, I can spend and, and talk on all of this text for a very, very long time. Let's finish chapter three. Uh, What is the coming up from the wilderness? Uh, This is Solomon arrives for the wedding. What is that that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war, each with his sword on his thigh against the terror by night. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon, and he made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seats of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. And so, we get, uh, now a, a different point here. We move into a different, uh, description. Obviously, we just left, uh, this, the Shulamite searching earnestly for her bridegroom at night. Now we have Solomon arriving for his wedding. Uh, verses six through 11 is a loose description of a wedding or of the marriage rite. Groom and friends would travel to the bride's home where she was veiled and adorned with jewelry the groom and a singing and dancing crowd would escort her back to his home. And when she entered his home, they were married. Unlike most modern churches were modern marriages where you go into a church and you say your vows in front of a, a priest and that, no, these were done by two families. They would make an agreement and uh, to m- marry their children. Uh, we see instances through like even Genesis uh where the the man would come and do work for the father in order to earn his uh the father's daughter's hand in marriage um but we get this image of the groom coming with his with his party uh and this is you know if you were to consider some of the imagery used today you have got the groom the best man and in the in the groom's party and the bride and the maid of honor and the um uh, and the bridesmaids You know that is kind of a a resemblance of what the this is portraying here in the text. Obviously, there's 60 mighty men, as verse seven state, that come with Solomon. It's it's a large crowd of people, Um, but we get a lot of text here in Scripture that kind of give us this echoing. And I'm just going to read through them real quick. Psalm 45 verses 13 to 15, Isaiah 49 uh, and, and 61, uh, Jeremiah chapter two and Ezekiel 16. So now we get to this wilderness here, uh, in oh, my apologies. I, uh, yep. I'm sorry. I am way off the deep and My mouse had moved and my screen changed and I was not reading the right text. Uh, all right. So let's look here. Um, the, uh, verse six here, uh, just kind of breeze through this a little bit. Uh, this wilderness is the desert between the land of Israel and Egypt. The wedding procession of Solomon and the Shulamite is here described in the terms of the reminiscent of Israel as God's bride coming out of her wilderness, wandering and entering the promised land, the myrrh and frankincense, their perfumes worn by and associated with the Shulamite as Uh, We will see a a few different points here in the text, but also associated with both Solomon and Christ as Matthew chapter two, verse 11 points us to Christ where the wise men bring him gifts offering gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, Luther writes this, myrrh is a symbol of the word, but frankincense is a symbol of prayer. Interesting uh, connection that he's making there. Uh, the fragrant powders, this spice is finally ground into a powder associated with the international trade, indicating the richness that adorns the wedding procession. Uh, this litter in verse seven is by a uh, briar or portable couch carried by porters, mighty men or bodyguards. Um, verse eight, the terror uh, by night uh, verse 8 reads, and all of them wearing swords, experts of war, each with his sword on his thigh against the terror of night. The terror of night was generally thieves, people who would come and try to uh, do harm in the middle of the night. Uh, verse 9, uh, this carriage, um, he made it himself. And uh, the Hebrew word occurs only here. could have been a portable chair, uh, as mentioned earlier in verse 7, this litter uh, or a portable couch type sitting utensil, if you would. Verse 10, this uh, inlaid, inlaid with love, Solomon's carriage is uh, described in terms of reminiscence of the tabernacle, the temple, and palace. Uh, verse 11, Zion, and where his mother crowned him, the wedding is described as a coronation, inaugurating the king's reign in a new way as he uh, consummates his union with his bride. Verses six through 11 to wrap out chapter three, like Solomon, our Lord spares no expense preparing for the marriage feast of the lamb and his kingdom. In fact, with something more precious than gold and silver with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, he's readied the feast. So as I mentioned, I want to try to keep this a bit shorter of an episode. We went through a a shorter chapter three, Uh, chapter four is a little bit longer. It's got uh, uh, 16 verses. So we will tackle chapter four, maybe uh, depending on time, we'll get through four and five. I think we'll try to do two chapters an episode. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of carry on through that and, uh, we'll get through this book rather quickly. So we'll spend a few weeks here and then we're going to move on. As I'd mentioned in the first show where that was definitely one very heavy in uh, an outline and, and direction that the show is going to take on. So uh, at least this series. So guys, uh thanks for listening. If you want to watch my sermon from this past Sunday, send me a DM or you can find us on Facebook and it is posted and you can watch it. I should hopefully have it up on YouTube soon. I can't, I can't guarantee, uh, win, but I'd love to have it up on YouTube soon because I thought it was a decent sermon. Um, at least the congregation enjoyed it. They told me that. Maybe they were lying to me. I don't know. I hope not. It's church. They shouldn't lie to me. I love my people and uh, I love my congregation. They are wonderful people and I'm honored by, uh, to call them my church and to come and shepherd them. So. I think they return the 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 love mutually. So guys, I'm enjoying this series. It is definitely one that is interesting and different than what you traditionally get in scripture. So, uh read through this book, enjoy what we're talking about and and providing descriptions too and and just really relish the fact that this is probably something you won't hear often quoted in a pulpit. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. As always, you know where to hit me up on Instagram, or I'm on Facebook, too, if you want to chat with me there. I will see you all next week. God bless.